Hey, well, we did, we're doing something this year uh, that we have never done before, and, and it's sort of a stretch for me, but on um, Christmas Sunday, we're actually saying, take a Sabbath with your family and enjoy your family. And, um, and so that's what we're saying. I will send out a, a sort of a devotional Christmas message you can check out online, and um, so you'll have uh, that coming out. But um, really encourage you, bring a friend, show up Christmas Eve, it's a wonderful celebration and, uh, of the birth of Jesus. So that's in, in two weeks. Can you believe Christmas is almost here? It's, it's wild. It's wild. I like this um, joy and hope. Do you guys like the joy and hope? So the other day uh, when we were bringing those in, they get stored in the barn, believe it or not. And um, I'm going to pick on Scott again just because, uh, hi, Scott, you're leaving. He, he's carrying them in on a, on a, I think it was a Saturday, and I'm, I pulled up in my car, and he says, I'm bringing joy and hope to Christ the King. <laughs> yes, you are. One of the things that always gets me about, about Christmas is thinking about what it would be like to be a person who lived years ago in the nation of Israel where you had been oppressed by your enemies. Israel was under an Assyrian threat, and then they were going to be taken over by the Babylonians. And this prophet Isaiah talks about something happening that would bring amazing hope to a nation. And he talks about it coming in a person. In the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. How many of you know this by heart? Raise your hand. I want to know. How many of you can read? Can you read it off the screen? I think we should do this together. You ready? You don't have to say the Isaiah part, okay? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Ah, you're just getting started. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. I love this promise. One of the things when you read this, you cannot help but ponder biblical prophecy. 800 years. 800 years. I mean, we have a hard time thinking 800 years, don't we? You know, you go back 800 years, and if somebody had written down something, and then they talked about some buddy becoming president or something like this, we go, what? I mean, people love to interpret Nostradamus. I don't know if you know that, but if you read about how they interpret him, it's very fascinating because they'll give him credit for all sorts of things for the same thing he said. And, and, but there's, there's something about 
this promise. 800 years before it came. And I always like to come back and remind you that the chance of biblical prophecy coming true in one person is astronomical. Years ago, there was this uh, guy who taught uh, science and mathematics, uh, first at Pasadena College, then at Westmont, and his name was Peter Stoner, and he wrote this book. And he, he did all these <clears throat> calculations on if just eight prophecies of Jesus were to come true. You know, and he picked, he picked prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah, you know, about him uh, coming on a donkey, about him coming into Jerusalem, about being betrayed by his friends, about um, this 30 pieces of silver, about uh, how he was silent and how he was going to be pierced and crucified on the cross and what that would take place and how it would be in the lineage of David. And he, he just chose eight of those. And, and then he calculated what's the chance of that happening in one person. And, and, and it's this crazy number. He said, the probability of that happening in one person is 1 to 10 to the 17th. you got to adjust that didn't go up in the slide. And, and then it gives you basically 17 zeros. That's 1 in 100 quadrillion. That just 8, and there are more than 8 about Jesus. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people, you know, that have you know, question their faith or they grew up in the church and they've pushed away from their faith. And one, one uh, person says, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in science. And I thought, well, Jesus believes in science too. I mean, there wouldn't be science without Jesus. It's like the, you, you've, you've got the, the wrong poles. Science is just asking questions and and making hypotheses and trying to see if it, if it fits with what your conjecture is or what your thought is. But when you talk about the hope that was promised to Israel and to the world, it's astronomical how it all came true in one person. And so one of the things I love about the church, you know, they, they, Christmas is, is one of these artificial times. Did you know that? Um, we have a guy in the church that was born on Christmas, okay? And so he firmly believes that Jesus was born on December 25th, okay? And, and fair enough. I mean, if your birthday falls on December 25th, claim it with Jesus, okay? But, but we don't really, really know the exact birthday to Jesus, and one of the reasons the church celebrates the birth of Jesus at this time is when the Christian missionaries were going into Europe and they were, they were reaching pagans. This was the darkest time of the year. And they had all these pagan traditions. And they chose to, to, to remember the birth of Jesus because it was the light of Christ, the light of the world, coming at the very darkest season of the year. Isn't that beautiful? And so it stuck. 
And I love that we remember the birth of Jesus during the darkest times of the year. Because it's to a world that's dark and needs hope. Years ago, there was a, a view of, of <clears throat> Christianity. They called it post-millennialism. Okay, and I don't teach a lot on end times, but I, I know a little bit on, on it. And post-millennialism is fascinating because it was the view that, that the world was going to get better and better and more Christian and Christian until we would usher in the return of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? You know, you know what killed post-millennialism? Millennials, yeah, those, those are millennials. You know why they call them millennials? Because it takes them about a thousand years to move out of their home. Anyway, um, <laughs> you started it, okay? I, yeah, back there, you started, yeah. Now, um, World War I and II, Christian Europe killing Christian Europeans. It, it, it was this oh my goodness, look, look what Christians can do to each other. And, and that, that killed this, this view that somehow that the world was going to get better and better and more Christian and Christian. We were going to usher in the return of Christ. I think this passage does this beautiful thing. This passage... It, it, it portrays Christ both as personal and cosmic. And I didn't give you my views on the millennium. We could talk about that another time. Come to my Tuesday small group and you can argue with me there, okay? They, they don't all agree with me either. Um, and that's the good thing about end times. We're not going to always agree. What will we agree on, church, on end times? Right here. Christ has died. Say it with me. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Okay, let's say that again. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Can we unite on that? Then we can be happy. Okay. Um, look at this. Look at this, this passage. I, I love this. You know, we, where he's, he's, he's given us the personal Christ. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. There, there is nothing so, uh, so much more beautiful than when you see a child, a little child being born. And, I, and you're talking to a fresh grandpa here, okay? I mean, just yesterday holding a new little baby. Uh, just... Dad, do you mind holding her while she's sleeping? <laughs> no. It's like, and then everybody gets to do stuff around you, you know, because you're holding the baby. Hey, can you refill my coffee? You know? Yeah, you act as if you can't get out. Oh, I don't want to disturb the baby, right? Yeah. It's, it's great. It's great. This, this idea that, that God's answer to the problem of the world is the person, a little baby that's coming. And one of the things I want to remind you, church, when, when we talk about truth, so many times, you know, we want to have these truth arguments with people and say, well, this is true. Do you know how, do you know how God brought truth into this world? A person. Do you ever think about that? 
that, that his answer to the world wasn't, wasn't just a, was some statement we needed to bow to. It was a person that we can follow. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of the government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And I, I love this because I was thinking, you know, back in the day, the ugliest part of the Christmas story, the part that we don't like to talk about, and if you have little kids in here, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but the part that we don't like to talk about it, we like to talk about the magi coming afterwards, and we always put them in the little creche and manger scene, and you know that that's really not what happened, right? You know, he, he didn't camp out in the manger scene for months. You know that? I mean, the magi came after that, but we, we picture it, and it's beautiful, and it's sort of fun, and we have, you go over there, we look at it. Did you know that, that I've had to adapt our little manger scene? Did you know that? I, I had a pastoral complaint. Our manger scene had a blonde-haired surfer Jesus. True story. True story. We had this sort of angelic blonde hair on little baby Jesus. And I, I said to him, I said, could we do something that we don't have blonde hair surfer Jesus? Could we, like, color his hair or something? And they said, Pastor, I think we can. We painted Jesus' hair. True story. True story. And I know when they were making it, they wanted to make Jesus look angelic, and so they gave him blonde hair. But how many of you really think Jesus had blonde hair? No. No. I mean, we don't even know if he had hair when he was a baby, right? I mean, he could have been, looked like some of you guys, right? We, we don't know. The, be the beautiful thing of, of, of Christ's coming, he came as a child, but that child was a threat. You see, King Herod knew this prophecy about Jesus. And so he sent soldiers to kill children in the town of Bethlehem because he was threatened because of the prophecies related to this person becoming a king, and he was, had a threat to his power, so he killed children. The, the wild thing is, is, I think Herod had more faith than a lot of people these days, because he at least believed the prophecies in the Bible about Jesus. And he understood that there was one that was going to come. And that one was going to establish himself, not just a personal king, but a cosmic king, a kingdom that was going to go on forever and ever and ever. And he was threatened by it. I want to tell you, I think we're still threatened by that kingdom. I think one of the reasons we have so many problems in this world and so many problems in your life and in my life is that we have a hard time following a king.
Chuck talked about anger. That's just one of them. Some of you say, well, I'm not an angry person. How many of you have ever done a silent rage? Yeah? It's like, I'm not angry. I'm just not talking to you. Right? Do you, have, you ever marry one of those? You ever work with one of those? What's going on? There is a there is a kingdom battle that goes on in every follower of Jesus' life. I, I, I like this devotional I use. It came out of the 24-7 prayer movement, the book that we just finished where we talk about uh, hearing the voice of God. There's a, there's a little online devotional where they call Lectio 365, and they, they lead you in a, a devotional and a prayer and a reflective meditation on Scripture every day. And they, and they end it with this ideal that, that we want to yield to God. And, and, and I love that because there is something about ourselves as humans where when we, when we go out and we wake up and we think about our day, yielding does not typically come to mind. Usually it's doing or having to do. Sometimes we don't want to get up and do. But not yielding. Because we humans don't like to come under authority. You see, this prophecy about the King Jesus, where he says, boom, backwards, no. There he is. Well, he talks about a, a, a child being born and there's going to be a government under him. It implies that, that there is a king with a kingdom. And that in order for you and I to experience the just government, in order for you and I to experience his wonderful counselor, him being a mighty God, a father that we re- is the best father in the world, peace that passes understanding, We have to come under his authority. And let me tell you, you're going to hear a voice almost every day that says, don't do that. No. That's not the way for joy. That's not the way of happiness. You don't need to yield. You ever heard that voice before? Or maybe you don't hear that voice. Maybe you hear this. Uh, That person really wronged you. Hold on to that. They ripped you off at that store. Can you believe you bought that online and that's what they sent you? I read this article about the, they were advertising these yard decorations, you know, that you could buy online. And the person in the review said, I bought the yard decoration. It was like Jesus in the manger and you put it, and it was like this big. I forgot, I didn't read the measurements. I can't believe I paid. And they talked about the amount of money they paid for the yard decoration. You know, and you think, they get you angry. We'll talk more about this in a minute. One of the things I love about this passage is it, it's, it's true. It happened 2,000 years ago. But it, it doesn't stop there. It, it, it's a passage that gives us a, a future picture of a kingdom where there's peace and there's shalom. It, it reminds me many times, you know, you, yeah, how many of you like watching stupid Christmas movies? Okay? 
I mean, there are always these, there are these, most of them have some kind of romance involved, some kind of Mr. or Mrs. Right. Most of them live with the illusion that once you find the right person, you're going to be happy ever after, right? Isn't that true? If you just find the right person, I've, I've quoted this before. One of my favorite pastors says, when you found the right person and you marry them, give them a month and you realize it's not true. Oh. Why do I say that? Because you married a human being. You married a person. It's, it's like those family gatherings. You ever picture like everybody together and you have this wonderful picture of maybe a Christmas dinner or the time you're gathering with your family and, and, you, and you picture what it's going to be like. And then you show up on the day and such and such is sick. Somebody had this happen. These two people aren't talking to each other. This one drank too much. Oh, you've been in one of those families? I had one where one of my relatives was hitting on me because they drank too much. And my kids are like, I'm going, yeah, this is really uncomfortable right now. Like, stop, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you ever had those moments? They're, they're really awkward. Like, you shouldn't drink. That wasn't my perfect Christmas picture, right? There is a perfection spoken of in this where there's good government, where there's peace, and where there's shalom. And you and I, church, hold on to that promise. We hold on to that promise because someday the injustices in this world will be taken care of. Now, I was preaching at a, a funeral recently, and I was reminding them of the Christian hope, and I said, do you know that there's going to be a resurrection, and that resurrection, there's going to be a judgment. And we don't like to think about a judgment, but there needs to be a judgment because there needs to be justice. The Bible says there will be a separating the people just as you separate the sheep from the goats. And we, we don't hold ourselves out as perfect people. We hold ourselves out as followers of Jesus who need a Savior as much today as we did the first time we embraced him. Years ago when I was pastoring early on in this church, there was a little heresy running around our church. You know what a heresy is? Heresy is a, a bad belief. And the bad belief was this, that, that when you become a believer, you only have to repent once. You never have to repent again. That the Holy Spirit will never convict you of sin after you become a believer. He will only remind you that you're righteous. And I remember when I was preaching and I, and I talked about, I had a, a slide up that said re repentance. And the person slammed their Bible and walked out of church. And I thought to myself, they don't prepare me in seminary for people that don't believe in repentance. Like, what is this? And I remember having this conversation with this person. You no longer go here. And I said, okay, you, you think you only repent once. I said, well, how do, you, how do you interpret Jesus speaking to the churches in the book of Revelation? 
where he's saying, I have these things against you. You need to deal with these things. And they looked at me and they said, oh, he wasn't speaking to the churches. He was speaking to the messenger. I'm like, oh, this is how bad it's gotten. Here's the thing, church. We live now in the time of Jesus' reign. That kingdom that he promises, we get to have spiritually now. That when we yield to Christ, we are coming under his authority and his kingdom is ruling and reigning in our lives, in our families, to the degree that we can yield to him in our church. And someday... The kingdom that Christ inaugurated when he came, he will consummate when he comes again. And the kingdoms of this world will stop and the kingdom of God will continue on. And in that world, it says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the spiritual new life where it says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. That new creation will give us new bodies. And I remember holding hands with a man who was in his 90s and he was in this church and was sitting there in, on his bedside a few weeks back and, and I'm holding his hand and I, and I was talking to him about the Christian hope because sometimes he would struggle. And I remember he'd call up and leave a message on my answer machine and he would confess a sin to me. I yelled at my wife and I cussed at her and I'm sorry, I need forgiveness. I'm thinking, me too. Anyway, and uh, but, but because he, he, he wanted his conscience clean. And here he is in his 90s, and he's holding hands with me, and he's believing the gospel. And he died in faith. Knowing that someday he will be raised again to life. And they will be this future kingdom, this future promise of the greatness of God that will never end. And the power and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it because it's not by might nor by power, but by the spirit that God will do this. And friends, I want to I end this with a reading of a, a passage in the book of Colossians. Because this passage that we've been looking at talks about what God's going to do. He's going to send this son, and this is 800 years before it happens. And then the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae about this wonderful child. And he says this. He says, this child is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I'm going to pause it before I keep reading. And I, I, want to, I want to ask you, what are you holding on to that you're trying to hold together? You know, if you're dealing with a broken marriage, you know, you know what you need? You need Jesus. You need Jesus to hold it together. 
So many times we try to hold things together, but we're not holding on to Christ, and it's Christ who holds them together. And it says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. And, and what that is, what that means is that he's the prototype, that when he resurrected from the grave, he had a body and that he is the firstborn to have one of those bodies, someday we will have a body like that. We won't be God, but we will have a body like the resurrected body of Jesus. Firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which he has proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Friends, this child that was spoken about 800 years before he came, that was prophesied, and it's an astronomical that this could take place in one person that he is both personal and he is cosmic and he's holding it all together and he's presenting a future for us to hold on to. Because we get to hold on to the hope. And some of you say, well, I've been a believer for a while and my life's not going so well. And I just need to remind you, if I'd read on in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, I'm writing this from prison. He was handcuffed to soldiers. No privacy. His life wasn't his own. Yet he's writing about Jesus, holding it all together. And my friends, one of the things he mentioned in there is that it happened not just because of his birth, but because of his death. And that through the death of Christ, he reconciles us to God so we can be reconciled to each other. I want to initiate communion, but I don't want to just initiate communion. I want to initiate communion in prayer ministry. Because I'm fully convinced that there is a, there is a, a repentance that God wants uh, many of us to walk in today. Repentance is metanoia. It's thinking differently. It's doing differently. It's changing your thinking or your actions. That he is saying there's something in your life that you are going in one way and you're claiming it as your own, but you need to stop doing that because it's leading you down the wrong path. And then he's saying, he's saying that as you come forward today and you receive the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ, get some prayer ministry about areas of your heart and areas of your life that have grown hardened to the kingdom. 
areas where you, you used to want to yield freely and you don't want to yield anymore. It could be your finances, could be a relationship, it could be, could be your marriage, could be a, a, a friendship. It could be a private sin that you just keep to yourself that nobody knows about, but he's asking you to get rid of. It could be just a, a closet addiction that you've had for a while. I don't know. God the Holy Spirit knows. And I just want to call this church this Christmas to repentance. Because we're not the king. He's the king. And our lives work the best when we come under his authority, when we yield to him, and we become followers of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Because in him, everything is held together. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love Christmas, remembering your humble birth as a baby. We love that you told us so far in advance that it just builds our faith in your coming in the future. And we love that you came as a child, humble, vulnerable, but you didn't stay that way. And that birth brought you to your death. A death that paid for the forgiveness for the sins of the world so that we can be reconciled to you. And that in our unrighteousness and in our sins, we can receive your righteousness and your forgiveness, your new life and your new creation, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we say, come Holy Spirit and fill this time now. For the Lord Jesus in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat, this is my body, which has been given for you. Do this and remember me. And in the same way, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it. When you do this, remember me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the very death of Jesus until he comes. What a wonderful proclamation because in his death we find life. So, come now, the table of the Lord is ready. <laughs>